Hey guys, and welcome back to Call Her Doctor, a podcast for STEM students interested in pursuing advanced degrees. I'm Madison, a former pre-med, starting my medical degree in July of 2020. And I'm Natalie, a first-year PhD student in electrical engineering. Be sure to check out our previous episodes and subscribe so you never miss another. Hey guys, so in this week's episode, we're going to be talking about PhDs. Um, We have a special guest here. Gabby Whiten, who is a good friend of mine, and she is pursuing her PhD at NYU. So Gabby, if you want to introduce yourself, give us a little background. Yeah. Hi, guys. Um, My name is Gabby Whiten, like Maddie said, and um, I'm currently a second year PhD student at NYU School of Medicine um, in the pharmacology department. And I study iron metabolism in the context of neurodegenerative disease. And uh, yeah. Fun. Okay. So In today's episode, I figured I would be here to ask Natalie and Gabby some questions about their PhDs and basically, you know, talk about more about what a PhD is, what their life is like while they're pursuing PhDs. So basically, any questions that you guys have about PhDs should be answered, hopefully, in this podcast. Um, So let's just hop right in. For both of you guys, when did y'all kind of realize that you wanted to start pursuing your PhD? Yeah, I guess I can start off. Um, I So I've talked a little bit about this in other episodes, but I had um, an internship where everyone in my office had their PhD and it was like very much a research environment. And I thought about grad school before that, but didn't really understand what it was or what the difference was going to be in my career if I had a PhD. Um, but being in that environment and just seeing how everyone sort of got to drive their own projects and their own research and everything, Um, that was really when I was like okay that's something that I'm definitely interested is just having that more of like a self-directed career and so I saw I guess a PhD as being like the next step towards that. Yeah very cool um so I think for me I so both my parents are in the medical STEM fields and um so I always you know kind of had a knack for more of a mathematical science type of pathway so I knew I wanted to do that but I feel like you know when you're a kid like if you're good at science it's like oh you should be a doctor as though that's like the only you know career that is possible to do in science and it wasn't until I went to undergrad and I was in the same scholarship program as Maddie I'm not sure if she's talked about it on on the pod before but um it's called the Chancellor Science Scholars Program and basically the the goal of it is to increase minority representation in STEM and more specifically in these programs of higher learning into the PhD, MD, uh, PharmD kind of programs. And um, one of the requirements of the scholarship is to do undergrad research. And I think through my undergrad research opportunities, whether it was at UNC Chapel Hill or I did one at Baylor, one at UCSD, I kind of realized that I really liked the research aspect of science and like Natalie said like moving beyond that a lot of the people who work in these labs and are kind of I guess the point person controlling where projects are moving to have this PhD and uh, so I think for me it was just the next step in in the research uh, trajectory is to do that PhD so I think that's ultimately how I how I found my way to this pathway, I guess. Okay, cool, cool. Um, do y'all, what, I guess, what more specifically, like, do you have an idea specifically of what you want to do with your PhD, and, like, have you known that, or are you kind of, like, okay, I know kind of in general where I want to go, and you're kind of figuring it out along the way? So, I think for me, 
Uh, I'm not really sure exactly what I want to do with a PhD. And I think it's because there's actually so many things that you can do with a PhD that I don't think is readily told to everyone. Uh, the first thing you'll hear is like academia, like you can be a professor and have your own research lab, but I don't think that's for everyone. And I don't think that's what everyone will do with their PhD. So I've thrown around going into consulting. I really like problem solving and I like, um, I guess, asking questions and, and finding answers to them. So I think consulting for me would probably be my number one postgrad option. Um, but I'm also really into communications. Uh, so I've I've played around with going into more of a science comm uh, field um, and then also potentially doing science policy uh, for the government, but yeah. That's super cool. Yeah, I think there's so many things that people don't realize, like they think that if you do a PhD, you're going to just work in a lab. Um, and that's definitely not really the case. It just means that you're like a subject matter expert in a specific area. And like, I know with engineering, you can even be like, a patent law consultant, you know, for like deciding whose idea it was and stuff like that. But I think right now I currently am thinking that I want to go back into industry and do like research and development. I don't necessarily, I would like to teach at some point, but I don't really want to be like a professor with a research lab at a large research university. Like I'm more interested in the teaching aspect of that. Um, but it's interesting because as I've been in my program, I'm sort of figuring out, like, even within my technical area, what different roles look like. And so that's been really interesting to kind of see, too. So it's, you know, do you want to be somebody who's, like, way low at the technical level? But I think I'm leaning more towards, like, being a technical lead in the sense of, like, overseeing the system level stuff for what I'm doing. Um, but definitely still figuring that out as I learn more about what's out there. Yeah. So I was going to say, do y'all, did y'all have, like, an idea of, like, I don't know, maybe I'll kind of already touched on this, but going into your PhD, you know, you have like a list of, okay, here are things I can do with my PhD. Has that, I'm sure that list has expanded. Do you feel like there are even more opportunities that you don't even know about yet? Uh, I would say so. Um, mostly just because I feel like when you're getting your PhD, like, yes, it's about, you know, conceptually what you're learning and, and you're becoming an expert in, in the field that your project is focused on but the skills that you're getting in a PhD are also go way beyond that and can be applied to so many different fields and industries and jobs so I mean to be more specific I guess NYU has you know programming in their I forget what it's called I think it's like the graduate it's got some fancy name but basically it just helps students find resources to you know build themselves uh i guess soft skill um repertoire i guess um but basically they help us find different career opportunities that might fit us best depending on which skills we're strongest in so that can look anything from like we've mentioned like law or consulting or industry or i don't even know government jobs, communications, design, all kinds of things. So do you feel like, is the structure of your PhD the same based on, is it the same no matter what career you want to go into? Or is it, like, do you take different classes if you, you know, say want to go into, like, patent law versus, like, industry versus teaching? Or is it all the same? Yeah, so I can only speak to NYU, obviously, but I would say all of our courses are more content-based so like dealing with what our 
PhD is supposed to be. Um, so for me, I take like pharmacology and immunology and neuroscience. But I think these classes that prepare you more for uh, career development are something that you almost have to seek out outside of a classroom setting, if that makes sense. So they offer them to us, but it's kind of like you choose what you want to do. But I don't think like the structure of your degree necessarily changes. I will say that like the timeline of, of your PhD in terms of, you know, there's some upper upper class students, upper year students, that will take a summer and do an externship at a company. And that lengthens the time that they're in their PhD. But that's because they want to go into industry. And so they want to have a little bit more like corporate experience before they go out into the job market. So that's the only thing I can think of where, in, in my case, that it necessarily changes. Otherwise, I think it's the same structure. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think you know, it's a little bit more of like how you go about your research that's determined by that. Cause you like, you take the same classes and you sort of have the same year to year structure. But for us, it's like, if you want to, you know, if you want to become a professor at a research university, that takes a lot of like publications and things like that. So you're maybe more, you know, you may spend an extra year to get those extra publications. Whereas if you're thinking you're just going to go into industry, you may take more of like a um, you know, project management lead on some of your research projects and stuff. Okay, well, um, Gabby, you also mentioned the word externship, which I have never heard before. Can you like, like, what is that? Is it? Yeah, so I think it's really just like a, te a technical term, but it's basically like the same thing as an internship or co-op. But because the way that our funding works, we can only have one stream of income at a time. So it's either coming from the university or it's coming from the like company or wherever you're working. So they like somehow they keep you as a student, but they don't pay you and the company pays you. But that's why they call it an externship. But it's basically an internship. Okay. Um, yeah. Got it. Okay. So since we're talking about, I guess, the fact that you can't get paid by more than one place at a time, that means that your PhD is paying you. So let's talk a little bit about funding for your PhDs and tuition and cost of living and like, what does that look like? Where Where's your money coming from? All of that. Yeah, so in the biomedical sciences, like your PhD should be funded. And if it's not, don't go to that program. That is the advice I've heard since I was like a sophomore in undergrad to, you know, applying for schools. like. Um, so most of the programs that I was looking at were stipend based, I guess. So all tuition and fees are covered, um, and they pay you a yearly stipend to do research and to do your PhD. Um, as far as your first two years at NYU, I believe are covered by the Sackler Institute. So like our grad school, that's like the biomedical sciences covers it. And then after that, you're covered by your PI, or if you get external grants, that'll cover, you know, how much it costs for you to go to school and how much it costs to pay you for your work. Um, I also know, so because NYU, my grad school doesn't have any undergrads, I don't have to TA. I do know that that is a requirement for some schools that you have to TA for a portion of your stipend, but my stipend covers all of my living expenses. So my apartment in New York, um, like, you know, any expenses I uh, concur, like just living. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, I think, um, you know, there's multiple different funding opportunities, but like Gabby said, if you're 
especially like I know engineering for sure and like biomedical sciences and a lot of other STEM fields like if the university doesn't have funding for you that may not be the program that you want to be in which sounds kind of harsh but it's also you know it especially with a PhD this is another um, reason I think that a PhD was interesting to me versus a master's is that PhD programs are typically fully funded with a stipend um, and so, yeah, there's fellowships. You can be funded by your advisor through their grants. Uh, I know we have to TA as part of our degree requirement, but I don't have to TA, like I don't think that's linked to my funding at all because I have a fellowship. So um, that is nice because it takes it from like working technically like hourly where you're getting paid to TA or paid for your research hours to just getting like paid to be completing your work if that makes sense yeah so do you guys know what would happen if like say like gabby this specifically is to nyu since you said you're funded by the school for your first two years and then by like your pi what happens if you're like your pi doesn't have the funding or like if you don't get grants those last you know few years like what happens then yeah so usually what happens is so the grad school makes it very clear that no matter what happens, they will cover you if that happens. It rarely does happen um, because they take precautions so that you're not joining labs that are losing funding while you're doing your PhD. But if that does happen, the grad school is very clear that they can cover you. And what usually happens is you might find like another co-advisor, co-sponsor for your project if they're able to cover you um but it's not like you know if your pi doesn't have any more money that they just are like you're out of luck type thing so in the case of nyu like you're always going to be covered okay cool yeah when i got my um like financial aid offer from the school it said that i was like guaranteed a specific amount for like like my tuition would be covered my fees would be covered and then i was guaranteed my current stipend um, for the full time that I'm there. Or I guess it's like five years. And if I go past that, then they like reassess or whatever. But yeah, you should like, definitely if you get a financial aid offer, like read over it very specifically and like make sure that continued funding is something that's included in that. Because again, yeah, you just want to make sure you're set up and that that's not like an added stress factor in all okay. of those. Do you feel like you're, and I guess because both of y'all were considering like multiple programs, do you feel like the, or I guess did you get financial aid offers before you committed to a school? And if you did, did you feel like the what you were offered reflected the cost of living in the different areas where the schools were? Yeah, so I, like when I got my acceptance, I also got my financial aid offer at the same time. So when I was looking at, I was choosing between two schools um, and they had pretty much the same financial aid offer, which is interesting because Charlottesville is definitely more expensive to live in than Gainesville, Florida <laughs> would have been. Um, and then I, so then while I was going through the process of picking, I got my fellowship, which pays a larger stipend than either of my financial aid offers. Um, and so both schools agreed that they would match that because my fellowship is for three years and both schools said that like after the three years, they would still continue to pay me at the rate of my fellowship. Um, and then University of Florida offered 
money on top of that that would have been like a full-time job salary kind of situation. So they definitely had the better financial aid offer, but that just ended up not being where I wanted to go to school. So it's something to ask for. Like even if you bring in your own money or own fellowship or whatever, like you can ask for more money on top of it. You may not get it, but <laughs> you can ask. Some some schools do offer that. Yeah. So I think for me, I don't know if it's just the way that the like umbrella biomedical sciences programs are structured, but it's kind of like, you know, you get your acceptance letter and then somewhere in the paragraphs, it's like, it'll be at an annual stipend or you'll be paid an annual stipend of X amount of money. But I would say, so I applied to schools in New York City, in California, Dallas, and Texas. Yeah. And I would say that all of the stipends did reflect the various costs of living. So this is kind of like, I feel like, I don't know if this feels like I'm going like cutting too far away from what we were talking about, but Natalie, you said, okay, like despite the fact that UF was offering you all of that money, it's not still where you wanted to go. So how did you make that decision into like where you applied, where you wanted to go? Did that decision, was that based off of location, the program itself, the program's reputation, uh, you know, potential mentors at any of the locations, I guess, kind of like what were the more important factors to y'all? Yeah, so I kind of came out of undergrad with, and this may have been a little bit egotistical, but I came out of undergrad feeling like I worked my butt off. I'm going to go somewhere that I am so excited about. Like, I'm not going to settle for just any program. Like, I'm going to find a good program in a location I want to live doing research I'm excited about, or I'll just get a job. Um, and so I literally drew the line at like Colorado. I was like, that's the coldest I can go. I can't live anywhere where it snows regularly. So, location was honestly one of the biggest things for me. Um, and then I sort of, you know, went through like what research was offered at the universities and I looked at things like, do they have female faculty in their electrical engineering department? Because if not, there's, they're either not recruiting or they're not doing things to like retain female faculty. So that was one thing that I looked at. Um, but most of it was based on the research that was available and making sure that they had multiple labs that I was interested in, in case I started in one and then didn't like it and needed to change, I could do that without leaving the university was something I was looking forward to. Um, and then when it came down to deciding, so I got accepted to two schools and that decision came down like totally and completely to the advisors. Um, there were four different labs I was looking at, two at each school, and I made the school decision and the lab decision like fully based on um, my advisor, which was you know a big enough factor that I turned down the money from the other school because I just knew like how important that advisor relationship was going to be. Yeah I would definitely agree with um, pretty much everything that Natalie said. Um, I think location was big. I made sure to only apply to schools in places that I could actually see myself living because I think that's a really easy way to run into issues very early on is if you apply places and, and like schools but can never see yourself living in those places. Um, so location was big. Obviously, research opportunities, um, the amount that, like, the amount of faculty that can take students was really important. Okay, so you, so Natalie, you went in knowing who your advisor was going to be, 
with like a backup option if that changed. Gabby, you were considering how many, I guess, how many labs were taking students so that you did rotations, right? Mm-hmm. At the beginning or so what did that what did that look like? Yeah, so at NYU and at most schools that I was looking at, you do three rotations of around three to four month periods um, with potential faculty. So I guess I had an idea of who I wanted to work with before I ended up like at NYU ready to like do my rotations, which I definitely recommend um, to asked to be interviewed by them when you're doing your interviews before you even get accepted to grad school. I think that that's a, a good decision to make. But so when, when you first get to NYU, we have like an orientation for a month in August where new faculty will give lectures and research presentations so that you kind of get a sense of who's, who's new and actively looking for students. And then every single department will have um, these open houses where they'll have like current grad students doing poster presentations and all the faculty in that department will give like two minute summaries of what their lab does. So that also gives you a good sense of A, like what faculty are in each department and B, which faculty are actively seeking students. Um, Yeah, and then I just went around and I had like maybe like five different faculty that I was like seriously interested in rotating in their lab. And I met with all five of them before. uh, And I asked to see the lab and meet some of the students and talk to some of the current grad students about, you know, the lab environment, what they liked. Um, Also, I think it's a good idea to talk to other current grad students outside of those labs to get a sense of what, I guess, what's known about, you can't see my air quotes, but (laughs) what's known about uh, all the labs. I'm um, taking that information with a grain of salt and then narrowing it down to three was ended up being pretty easy after that for me. But. Okay, so let's pop back down to undergrad. Um, when you guys realized that you wanted to pursue a PhD, is there stuff that you started doing differently um, as far as like your studies and extracurriculars during undergrad? Um, and kind of like what did you do to be a competitive candidate for PhD programs? So I would say I shifted my focus, I guess, more to research. Um, Like there was, I think I had two summers left after I decided I wanted to go to grad school and I used those to do undergrad research on campus versus like trying to get um, an internship. So that was, I think, the biggest shift. Um, It also just made me a little more focused on my GPA and some things like that because I knew that rather than just having like this wide range of jobs that I could apply to, it was going to be a little bit more like I had a more specific idea of exactly where I wanted to go and who I wanted to work with so that it made it a little bit more competitive, I guess. Um, So it just kind of stepped it up in in that area. Um, And then also just with like my involvement on campus and stuff, just sort of overall stepped it up. Yeah, I would definitely say research is probably the number one uh, most important thing applying to grad school. So I went straight from undergrad to my PhD program. And I think one of the strongest things about my application was just the amount of research that I did. So I think I did like, I don't know, two and a half years of research. But in the two summers between, I guess, sophomore and junior year and junior and senior year, I did research outside at other different institutions. And so I think one of the reasons why that strengthened my application was 
although I, I don't know, compared to most people who start their PhDs and have had like maybe two, three years teching as a research tech um, in laboratories, uh, why did I say laboratories? In labs. <laughs> um, nice. Uh, I think that showing that I could, you know, go in for, you know, three more three month research internship and, you know, work with this new group of people and, and walk away with it with a, you know, full blown project, you know, can only up, up the ante of your application. I also think that, you know, the two recommendation letters that I got from those opportunities were a lot stronger than, I don't know, maybe two recommendation letters from you know, faculty I had for organic chemistry lab, like one to 400. Instead, I had, you know, a recommendation letter from another researcher who could speak well to, you know, my skills as a potential future researcher as well. Cool. Um, so, like, what do you feel like is the biggest difference between grad school and undergrad and kind of like what was the transition like? Which, like, I know that obviously, like, in undergrad, you weren't doing research essentially full-time, which is what you guys do now, right? So, like, I guess outside of, like, those kind of obvious differences, what do you guys feel like the biggest differences or are? I honestly feel like my life is calmer now than it was during undergrad. Um, I feel like in undergrad, it was a million different directions and trying to like improve myself and build my resume in like, you know, eight different areas of like involvement and having a job and classes and just like all of this extra stuff. And now I feel like it's a little more focused in that my priorities are a lot clearer. Like research is my number one priority. That's what's paying my, you know, my living and everything. That's why I'm here. Classes are second priority. And then things like involvement sort of fall under that. And so I think that for me has been the biggest change is that it's just like easier to focus on one thing. I don't feel like I'm pulled in a million different directions. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, I guess the biggest difference for me is probably feeling less stressed out about coursework. Like I think the way that learning happens in the PhD program is just different from, you know, memorizing facts from a science textbook and regurgitating them on exams. Like it's more problem solving, analytical, technical based courses that are more testing your ability to think, criticize, or criticize and analyze. That sounds like a description of a class, but essentially um, it's just like a different way of, of, of learning and different skill set that you're developing. Do you feel like it's, and obviously I guess feel like this depends on like how people's brains work because I am very much someone who's like good at like memorization, but do you feel like for you, is it like harder or easier just like the class stuff? <sighs> Such a hard question. Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth and just say that it's different. I mean, I don't know. I think classes are, are less stressful and that there's less of those you know, critical test days where like it kind of feels like you have to give everything and if you mess up on that day, you know, your grades kind of screwed. It's more like just like a continuous being tested on, you know, how you're thinking. I don't know. So it's just different in my opinion. Okay. Yeah. I think 
my classes are pretty much the same. It's just that they don't matter as much, if that makes sense. It's like in support of my research rather than like, I have to make a certain grade. Yeah. So like you're not like not saying you should like fail your classes, but like ultimately like you're not concerned about making like all A's in your classes. Yeah. Like a B versus an A doesn't really have any effect on what I'm doing right now. So instead of like, I got to make a 95, it's like, oh, if I make an 80, it's fine. Okay. Oh, nice. I'm, I'm almost jealous, except for the fact that research is not my thing. <laughs> um, okay. So what do you, so we talked about the biggest difference. Um, do you all have anything else you want to mention about like the transition between grad, med, or undergrad and grad school? I guess I have a question for Gabby. Did you, like, did you come in and start in your labs? Oh, I guess you said you had, like, an orientation in August, right? Okay. I didn't know if you, like, came early and started in your lab, because I know some people will come, like, three months early and get started in research and then start classes, or? Yeah, so some some people do that. If they, It's mostly if they want to do a fourth rotation. So like most people in my program only do three rotations, but if for some reason they feel like they want to do or need to do four, they'll come in early and start over the summer. But uh, yeah, we do have that orientation period where it's kind of adjust. Like we have one class that's called Introduction to Research. It's kind of just a time to, to acclimate to the new setting and to meet classmates and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that's another thing, like, even when people are considering schools to look at is, like, do you have a cohort where you go through the same set of classes together? And, like, what does that transition look like? I think that's always, like, a good question for the people who are already working in your lab group or in your program or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, Yeah. Do you guys, like, have friends in your labs and, like, kind of cohorts or are you just kind of, like, colleagues with everyone? Uh, so I would say that I'm definitely friends with a lot of the people in my class and it's mostly because the first year we're all taking pretty much the required classes for just being a biomedical PhD in general so we spend a lot of time you know in the same classes working on group projects that kind of thing and you know the first semester or so there's a lot of events that are put on by our uh, student council that are more socially focused and a lot of the people that show up to those are obviously the first years and and second and third years so the the younger ones but um yeah I think NYU makes it really easy to to meet people and you know you're all bonding over not really know what's knowing what's going on but uh that can be nice sometimes. Did you feel like you had to make like more of an effort because I feel like you know in college you you're not you're not necessarily going to be friends with everyone that you like live with but you live in dorms with easy access to people, like, not just the people in your classes, do you feel like, obviously, like, you're going to be friendly with everyone in class, but do you feel like, as far as, like, hanging out, do you feel like you have to make, like, an extra effort, or is it just kind of, does it kind of come naturally? So, I think this really depends on the makeup of your cohort, your class, Um, because my year, I think a lot of us were moving from other places that were not New York, and we're also, like, fresh out of undergrad, so that primed us a little bit more to like be open, like to be more open to making friends. But I know there's some classes that, you know, for some reason, like a lot of them are, you know, did undergrad in New York City and have friends that, you know, they have from undergrad or, you know, who have been out of school for a long time and have, you know, whole families. And so, you know, it's less about 
you know, having a social life and, and more about, you know, this is like their working environment type thing. So I think it really depends on that class. Um, and I think I kind of lucked out in that situation, but I think you also get a sense of the potential makeup of your class from interviews. And then also at NYU, they do a revisit. So in March, after you get your acceptance, you can go back and see more of the people who are seriously considering NYU as an option. Uh, and you can get a sense of, of the type of people who are potentially gonna be in your class as well, which I thought was very helpful. That's because we, we don't really have like a cohort as far as like going through our classes. You just kind of sign up for whatever. So I feel like I have my lab group, which is like the people I work with. And then I have my lab space, which we're not really a lab. It's more like just graduate student seating in a specific building. Um, but I think with my lab group, it's definitely more of like a working relationship with everyone. Um, it's you know, every once in a while we'll like go out to dinner or something like that. And my advisor tries to like encourage us to do things outside, but I did get really lucky in that there's another new girl in my lab group that I actually work with, um, who just, I don't know, we're very similar, like have similar interests. We're both kind of introverted. Um, she's also like an athlete. So that's something like when we traveled for a conference, we went and like ran together and there's some stuff like that where, I just am like super, super lucky that I like have her as like a good, you know, best friend to sort of bond with over all the work stuff. Um, and then I have like just a little bit that I am involved in student organizations and stuff. There's people who I have as like acquaintances where it's not like a working relationship and we're kind of friends, you know, so there's some of those like in between friendships too. Not cute. Um, do you feel like you have the opportunity not just to like socialize with people like in your cohort or your lab, but like, do you just feel like you have time for a social life outside of school if you want to have one? Yeah. So I think work-life balance is extremely important, but in both, in both ways. So life work balance too. Um, but I think I'm lucky in this respect in that I also, so have like a lifestyle blog and a social media presence. That sounds so cringy to say, but we're just going to go with it. She's an influencer. <laughs> I don't like that word, but okay. Um, so I've met people more in the creative space. So like photographers and freelance writers and other bloggers. And, and so I have that kind of social network as well. But I don't know. There's so much to do in New York, uh, like, you know, intramurals and, cooking classes and people who go to like the New York Public Library to learn French I don't know so that's how you know a lot of my friends in our program have have gone about making friends outside of even the medical center so I definitely think there's opportunity specifically in New York to to do that and to have time to do that yeah I think I have more time for that now than I did as an undergrad even um and I think just like for me a big part of it is just like scheduling it you know because the workflow kind of ebbs and flows like there's I'll have two weeks that are super busy and then two weeks that aren't so if I just like know ahead of time that I have plans I think that like is super helpful too just with peace of mind but also like motivation as well. Do you feel like also because I know at least this is important to me and I'm sure a lot of other people as far as like your day-to-day -day life goes and not just like plans that you have every now and then do you feel like you're finding time to like take a mental break and like 
kind of, you know, take a, take time to watch like a couple of YouTube videos or like watch a TV episode or like go to the gym? Um, or is that something that you like, you feel like you also have to, I guess, kind of work to schedule in? Um, I would say that I definitely have time to do it. I think, you know, if you're picking the right project in the right lab, you're obviously pretty passionate about the projects that you work on. So you want to be in lab for a long time. Um, so I think kind of pulling yourself in that, in that respect can be difficult sometimes, but you know, I try and go take a hip hop dance class like every single Wednesday. Um, I also like really love movies. So I make time to, to go see, you know, the new releases and, and all that jazz. So I think, yeah. It's hard because I think when you're passionate about something, you definitely want to work on it a lot. But I also think that you kind of need that balance. And so in my opinion, it's like easy to find things outside of work to do, but, you know, maybe wanting to take a step away from, from work and, and improving in that way is, can be difficult sometimes. Yeah, I would agree. I think there's definitely time. Um, I think kind of like you were talking about it's like you have to be intentional about it like you have to plan to take <laughs> the time away and sometimes force yourself to make you know to take the time and um I think as long as you're intentional about it you know and sometimes that means saying no to extra stuff but um you know prioritizing yourself and making sure that you're taking care of yourself so that you can continue to like work at the pace and the push that you want to what is the application process like first of all um kind of just like like what does it require what does it look like what did you have to do and is there anything you wish you had done differently like as far as your application I mean obviously you guys both got accepted into great programs so like it worked out but like looking back is there anything you would have changed about your application or your interviews I guess I can start um so applications is sort of you know what you would assume like you take the GRE or like if you're going to medical school the MCAT um depending on your program and then it's usually like a personal statement your resume or cv letters of recommendation um, and just sort of putting you know the extra essay questions that the schools ask for and stuff um, and doing all of that and then it sort of depends on the programs and it can even depend like by school some places really want you to reach out and connect with an advisor before you start or before you're even like accepted and looking at coming there um, and then for some schools, it doesn't matter. So like I didn't do that and it worked out just fine for me, but, um, some people do choose to reach out to professors beforehand. And then, um, at least for engineering from what I've seen is once you're accepted, usually they'll bring you out for like a visit weekend. Um, and they'll bring out like all of the accepted students and you'll get to do like some tours and stuff like that and get to meet some of the advisors. And if you are in a program where they want to do interviews, you'll usually do them that weekend. Um, but like my program, like I got accepted to the school and then I interviewed with the professors to see which advisor I would have, but it wasn't, the interview wasn't part of getting into the university, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. What about for you, Gabby? Yeah. So I would say the makeup of the actual application is, is, pretty much identical for the programs that I was applying to, but the interview is part of our application, I guess. So you submit your application by like November, December, something like that. Um, and then around like the holiday time, so like December, early January is when I started to hear back from schools about interviews. 
which are really nice actually because you get to see the school um, you get to meet with professors that you're interested in doing research with um, they usually have like a social aspect so they basically are trying to like wine and dine you to uh, come to their school uh, which is nice um, and so I did that pretty much all spring um, and then once you finish that process they'll tell you whether or not you were accepted um, yeah I would say the thing that I'd probably do differently which I don't know if I can really say this but I would definitely I definitely would have applied to less schools um, mostly because you can only do but so many interviews in like a two-month period um, but the reason I say I don't know if I can say this is because I think it would be cocky of me to say that I would get an interview at every school that I you know thought I would uh, apply to but I, but I you, did, I you did get an interview I know but like you don't know that you can't go into it saying like you know I'm gonna apply to these 12 schools and get interviews at all 12 you know what I mean like you don't know that um, but I don't know I think it for me there were some schools that I applied to that I probably wouldn't have wanted to go to and could have probably act uh xed out but that's the only thing I can really think of as to what yeah, I, I feel like you knew your heart was in New York and I feel like you knew that like if you got into one of those schools you were gonna go like yeah, yeah. I just remember sitting there and, like you were like oh like well like Southwestern and UCSD and I was like okay look we all know you're going to New York so <laughs> you can pretend to think about it but well, okay, but UCSD was difficult because I did a summer internship there and really liked it. And I mean, San Diego, like, it's just extremely nice in general. Yeah. And like, the tech industry there is ridiculous. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, one day, we'll, you're right. One you're day right. we can end up back out there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Last question. What's, is there anything that's like completely different than you expected it to be? in grad school or is it pretty much what you expected uh I don't I think I was really well prepared slash heard a lot of stories about what grad school would be like just in the nature of what mentors and advisors I had so I would say that yeah I think I think it's going how I would expect mine's been a little bit different just because I didn't really know anybody who was in a PhD program um so I didn't I guess my idea of it was a little bit more of like the stereotype, I guess. Again, you can't see my air quotes, but the stereotype of like, especially with, I think, engineering, you know, it's like, oh, the nerdy guy sitting in the corner who never leaves the lab and like has this wall of takeout food around him, you know. I think I pictured it a little more like that. And um, I obviously knew that that wasn't going to be the case for me, but I think I think, honestly, I imagined that I would be working a little bit harder than I currently am. And I think part of that is the whole coronavirus work from home situation. But um, I think another thing that surprised me that Maddie and I have talked a little bit about is the attitudes of other people. I think I assumed, and I don't know, Gabby, if you've kind of found the same, but I assumed in a PhD program, everyone would be on fire about what they're doing and super excited and passionate and like, really taking steps to reflect on what they were doing and making sure they were constantly improving. Um, and I found that it's about half and half. It kind of seems like half the people there aren't as excited. And I think that to me has been the most surprising thing of just like, you have this idea in your head of what people in a PhD program are going to be like, as far as like their attitude and their work ethic. And that hasn't always 
been the case. Yeah, I uh, I would agree with that. Um, so I guess at NYU, really, like, people are really aggressive in a sense that, you know, they want to work, they want to publish, they are pretty passionate if they were flexible in the early stages. So I think a lot of people come into the PhD, like I wanna work for this specific PI and I wanna do this specific project. And if at any point you're derailed from that, I think you get a little lost and a little bit like uh, cynical about the process. But I think if you were flexible and kind of played your options and really found what was the right and good fit and then just kind of took off and you were super passionate about what you were doing, then yeah, you, you know, people in my class are like super aggressive and, and are really pushing the boundary. But I think for people where it didn't necessarily get off to a great start or kind of trying to figure out exactly what they want to do and how to move forward, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah definitely. That makes sense. Um, do you guys feel like it's hard to like keep yourself motivated when you're around uh, people who are not as driven? Yeah, I think, you know, I expected, I guess, this sounds bad. I don't want to, and it's not even like the people that I work with necessarily, because I work with some really great people, but just other people I've met where it's, I thought that I would be a little bit more inspired and like motivated by the people that I was surrounded by. Um, and I think I see like glimpses of that where I'll see them doing something. I'm like, that's really cool. I want to do that. Um, but I thought that it would be a little bit more of that, I guess. Yeah, I don't know where I read this, and I also don't know if I'm just making it up, but I feel like there's some type of, uh, I don't know if it has to do with, like, your personality type, or, like, you're, uh, I've never actually said this word out loud, so I don't know if I'm saying it right, but you're Enneagram, Enneagram, I think, yeah, <laughs> you know, like, personality test things, where it's, like, you know, whether you're motivated, like, internally or externally, Anyway, I think, like, I'm internally motivated by, like, my own person, so, like, it goes both ways in that I don't think that I'm demotivated by people who are not very motivated around me, but I also don't, I'm not, like, motivated by other people being motivated, so I'm kind of, like, personally driven, if that makes sense, so I don't know. I don't actually know what value that adds to the conversation. No, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like that's I feel like that's an interesting way to look at it because I would say that like I'm internally motivated and I think now that you've said that and I'm thinking about it I think the issue is not that they're not motivated but it's like I don't see the person that I want to be if that makes sense like I don't see that like badass person who's just like in there and killing it and loves what they're doing uh-huh. And so I'm like internally motivated, but I don't see what I'm motivated to move towards, if that makes sense. Right, right. Fun. Is there anything else that you guys want to add or like drop any information for people or like share? If you're thinking about doing a PhD, you should do it because it's awesome and it's not just like the workaholic, horrible life that it's portrayed as. It's actually pretty great. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Sounded like a class discussion board. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I think she made valid and good points. <laughs> um, yeah, no. I guess the only thing uh, the only thing I have to add, why can I not speak? The only thing that I have to add is thank you for having me on your pod. Do you guys call it the pod? I don't know. I'll start doing that now. The pod. Yeah. <laughs> the 
pod. I'm going to change the Google folder name to uh, the pod now. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) Gabby, do you want to plug like your Instagram and your blog and everything? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so like I mentioned before, I I have a blog and and Instagram. My handle is at Gabby Whiten. Um, it's a, it's, it's a fun time. It's a little bit of life, a little bit of style, a little bit of, uh, cooking. I've been doing a lot of cooking in, in quarantine. So nice. We love influencers in STEM. So, uh, ah, we, do. Yeah. we do, we really do. Be sure, be sure to leave a comment on her pictures, calling her an influencer. She loves don't, that. Don't do that. I don't like that. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Feel free to drop by our Instagram if you guys have any further questions, and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for listening to Call Her Doctor podcast. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at callherdoctor.podcast, where we share more tips and tricks and answer questions. For more information, be sure to check out our personal blogs at themjdiaries.com and sheengineered.com. You can find the links in the show notes. We would also love it if you would head to iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review so we can get this podcast out there to more people and continue to grow the Call Her Doctor podcast community.